the University of Cambridge, England. March 1953. American biologist James Watson and English physicist Francis Crick discover the three-dimensional double helix shape of DNA. But our genetic code proves to be so complex that Francis Crick proposes it did not develop by chance, and also that it is not of this Earth. Sir Francis Crick said that the human genome is, is not something that could have occurred randomly, and that therefore we were somehow programmed specifically by extraterrestrials, it would seem, many thousands of years ago. The DNA molecule itself is the equivalent of the entire Encyclopedia Britannica being dropped out of a helicopter, chopped up into individual words, and then as the words fall out of the helicopter like confetti, that they all arrange into the correct order that they were in, that's the madness that is required to even speculate that DNA could have evolved randomly on Earth. Is it possible that DNA is an intelligently designed code? And if so, might there even be more information embedded within our genetic makeup than scientists have yet to find? As an information molecule, I think DNA is, is much more attractive than radio signals and so on. It lives longer, it has the ability to, to self-replicate, and it has a, an astronomically tiny error rate. And so these three properties make DNA a unique storage device. So if you want to store a secret or a stamp of the maker, DNA would be your choice. Could it be that there are messages actually imprinted right in our genetic makeup? Ancient astronaut theorists say yes and contend that part of that message may be contained within the universal structure of DNA, which consists of a series of three molecule combinations known as codons or triplets. They say that it is much more than coincidence that three is also the number of stars in Orion's belt. The number of pyramids on the Giza Plateau that line up with those stars and the basic geometry behind the pyramid shape itself. We have a very fascinating connection to data points saying the same thing. Number three is where you begin building geometry. The DNA molecule has an underlying geometry to it. Geometry is intrinsic to the design of the universe and that the number three builds the triangle, the triangle being the building block of all other geometry. Maybe we'll learn some very interesting things once we can correctly decipher the message. Are there alien messages all around us, hidden within elaborate designs, embedded in geographical alignments, carved in rock, etched into the landscape, and even encoded in our DNA? And if so, might there be some significance to the fact that we are just now beginning to discover these messages? In the book of Daniel, there's a chapter that tells Daniel to seal up the prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures, and it will be opened again in the days when human beings are running to and fro, and knowledge will increase. Well, we could argue that we're living in those days that Daniel was writing about. So much of what we know about ancient culture, ancient architecture, ancient technology is encoded. There are codes in literature. We see in the New Jerusalem diagram that there is encoding, again, in geometry, in the architecture. These codes were left to us a long, long time ago so that we could find our way, so that we could remember who we are. Is it some kind of message for us from the past that we are to decode when we have reached a higher state of civilization and knowledge that we can figure all this out. It would seem that we are only just now reaching a point of knowledge and technology that we can understand these codes and find the hidden meaning that's there. Is it possible that the answers to mankind's greatest questions, where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we headed? Are actually all around us, hidden in alien messages, waiting to be deciphered.
Welcome to The Machine, everybody. I am your host, Mario, along with my co-hosts, Jeffro and Lee, journey with us into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. Hello, welcome back, everybody. I am your host, Mario, along with my co-host, Jeffro, over here. He is in the uh, old homestead studio here. Hello, Jeffro. Hello, Mario. Hello, listeners. Listeners. Um, Lee could not be here. They did drop him back. Uh, they, they left him in my backyard, but he's in this state of ketosis right now. Huh. Um, no, I said ketosis, didn't I? Ketosis. Yeah, that's that's incorrect. He's in comatose. Comatose. Hey. Thank you. Okay. He's also losing weight. So, oh. yeah, a lot of weight, by the way. They, they sucked him dry. Poor guy. Oh, man. I yeah. need to get on that diet plan. <laughs> anyway, um, so so he's he's currently in my shed because I don't know you know what they implanted him with or anything like that. So we're just gonna leave him out there for a little bit till he uh, comes to, and we can analyze him and scan him and make sure you know they didn't put any type of tracking devices in him. Or yeah, it's or a shame like Doctor Roger Lear passed. He could have helped us removing some of those implants. Hashtag pray for Lee. Well, you know if they if. If they did put a, a tracking device in them, I'm, I'm sure it's the Gates Foundation has something to do with it. So we can get a hold of them, get it, get it extracted. You know, I believe I can come up with photos of him on Epstein Island. You kind of blackmail him, get that tracking device out of Lee. Did I say that? Oh, well, look at that. They pulled us off right first ten minutes, first <laughs> first minute and a half. So Jeffro, we are talking once again about ancient aliens and the impact it has had on humanity through um, throughout time and one of the things that we were talking about is you know the different technologies that were used in, in building some of the structures that we have on the planet now you know from ancient civilizations but when we dig a little further we start to question our own origins as human life and that that goes on to the question of you know where did we come from how did you know how did we get here is there is there an afterlife do things go on we we start talking about these things but in order to understand some of these things we first have to figure out where it all started where we had come from and some of these theories that we get into with ancient aliens is we were created right well i mean yeah even in the spiritual sense if you go to some of the monotheistic religions Right, so these Abrahamic religions, they talk about creation. Whether we're talking here about the aliens or we're talking about religious or spiritual origins, the same the same idea keeps repeating itself. Somewhere, somehow, there was a beginning and there was there's a creation story. And like you were talking about, that's what we have to try to figure out as a community. And there's all these answers the same answers we always ask ourselves where we came from where are we going and well i think a lot more often than not the biggest problem the biggest thing that's stopping people in general is religion itself is because everybody you know every religion wants to be the correct religion they, they get caught up in the dogma of everything right right i i absolutely believe that you're correct um instead of it being a search for the beginning People want to skip to the end and be the ones to say I was right. And they want the answers to already be given to them instead of having that personal journey of their own. Right. And I think I think that's what's missing here. I think that's what's missing with humanity as a whole is when you're 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 searching and you're trying to learn and figure out you know just who we are and where we come from we get caught up in you know like i said the different religions and that starts to branch off right right because well, it fragments the population fragments thank you this is a perfect word for that so when this happens now you create animosity amongst people and now here we are nobody's learning anything if anything we're we're, it almost seems like we're going back to what Darwin would describe as Neanderthals 
Right. right. I mean, we're just a bunch of idiots going back and forth and nobody's learning anything. Right. Because as long as we are separate, as long as we're separated and we're easier to control. And it almost makes you wonder if there's people out there, you know, maybe a secret society or so who actually has the answers. But in order to enslave humanity, we'll say a, a new age enslavement, because that's how I like to look at it. It's easier to divide and conquer, right? Keep people asleep. As long as we're at each other's throats, we're not looking at the true evil in the world. Definitely. So, to your idea of Darwinism, it's interesting that you brought him up. Um, that that currently is the current scientific model, right? Darwinism. Well, it has been since, what, at the 80s? 70s, 80s? Nine, nine, they started well, teaching in the curriculum and, and public education schools, which, I mean, I've been very outspoken on public education, especially in this country. I think it's fucking garbage. I think it's shit. My children come home. They don't know how to write in cursive. They don't teach them how to write in cursive. Our, 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 the, the, the bigger documents in, uh, in our Constitution are written in cur- cursive, and we need to know these things. Going forward, our, our children need to know how to read these things, how to interpret it right right yeah i mean if you send a kid in you send me into ancient egypt and you say hey read all these hieroglyphics i'm gonna be like uh i'm sorry what i don't i don't know what you mean read these hieroglyphics because i don't know how to read them that's how our future for our children is going to be with cursive writing and they're going to be like okay um read the constitution i'm sorry well we'll read it for you yeah, well, here, here's what it, it says. Here, here's here, here's how. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, and that's the problem. When we start talking about these these different things, and but it didn't. The funny thing to me was, it didn't take long for the education system to start throwing Darwinism in there and saying, "Hey, listen, we maybe we should start teaching this to our children." Well, that's one aspect, but to me, if you're going to teach that Darwinism and science of it, then you may as well teach. The religious side of creation, right? And if you're going to teach a religious side of creation, you should really teach all religious sides of creation as well. And then you start to wonder, well, okay, what part of this belongs in the education system? Well, does it or doesn't it? That's a debate on its own. But nevertheless, we should be educating our children, not indoctrinating them. And that's what we see and it's to me, it's it's a very scary time. It's a very very frightening time because it, it, you know, there's an agenda behind it. Okay, I'm not saying every teacher out there is a bad teacher. I'm saying they're paid to do this. This is the curriculum they're paid to teach. Oh, and even if a teacher has uh, has an issue with teaching that, they can't even no, they deviate. Right, they can't even deviate from the curriculum, in which is financed by. More often than not, than a political party, right? I mean, well, the books that are written, you know, the what McCormick and McGraw and Hill and all them, all those entities that write our school textbooks, mm-hmm. they're funded by elites and large corporations. And if you move to modern times, let's say you don't have a textbook, so let's say let's say you have an iPad. Oh, are we going to start talking about Apple? I mean, again, I feel like we're getting off. <laughs> we're getting off subject, well, but no. again, we're 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 in we're we're stating on the idea of how waters can be muddied, you know, information can be twisted, right? Uh, how you can use information slightly, twist it, indoctrinate the mind, and cause chaos. This is the slow deterioration of indoctrination. This is how they're able to just tweak things slightly. And this is how things can quickly right. go downhill right. if we're not open as a public and always asking why. Which because is, if, they, if they do it so drastically to the point where, you know, it's not just slightly tweaking it, then, you, you know, then people go, oh, well, this is a little right. fabricated. Right. right. We this won't be able to. Crazy. Right. We wouldn't conform to it. So and now we're talking about, you know, religion. We're talking about. The origin of man. Right, the origin of man. So, as we were saying, what's taught is Darwinism. Right. And 
what's funny about Darwin is he's actually misquoted. You know, if I were to say to you, the core of Darwinism is the survival of the strongest or survival of the fittest. That's what commonly we understand as Darwinism, isn't it? Well, not? I don't know. These days, you know, somebody comes up with a coronavirus, they get all panicked and paranoid and... You know, I I grew up. What doesn't kill you make you stronger. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting off base here. Good. No, no, yeah. But his actual. This is his actual quote. It is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is the most adaptable to change. Oh. That's his actual quote. Okay. And this goes into the whole idea of media, and print media at that time, or or news media. This goes into the indoctrination of misquoting and just changing it to fit their idea of you know the dogma of the strongest or the survival of the fittest creates and instills an anxiety into the community that says if you're not better than everybody else then you're nothing it's funny because i i i remember um I don't know if it was my sister or somebody I knew who was in the military used that quote, only the strongest survive, only the strongest survive. That's what they teach there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a way of brainwashing. Athletes, you yeah. know, modern-day athletes, you know. Right. So basically, Darwin's idea of evolution is a theory, when taken in its true context, is actually a, a, a quote that survival and... And evolution is through cooperation. Hmm. You know, the strength comes in cooperation. It comes right. in, you know, the species that are most adaptable. And how can we be adaptable if we don't work together? Right. But they don't want us to work together. No. They don't want that message to get out. And that's yeah. why they've contorted the message into the form that they have. Which, you know, I, I've said this before in previous podcasts about the ability of the human. We. I recently also was talking to you about a movie that I'd watched. It was, uh, it was called Infinite. It was on the, uh, I think it was on the Paramount app or whatever, but it, it had Mark Wahlberg, and it was pretty good. It was about reincarnation, but it was also about the the suppression of human ability, uh, living through different states of consciousness, hmm. and being able to not only manipulate your your own conscience and how you feel and how you think and what you see and how you react but your surroundings as well which help keep you you know in that state so if you can poison that which is exactly what we're talking about which is yeah. what's happening throughout history modern modern times oh my gosh today more than ever with media and you know pop media and everything um, it definitely seems like this this is more true now than ever with I strongly feel and I, I do believe this I believe that we as a race human race have higher ability that only the elites know about that they don't want us to know about because once we figure it out once we figure out our true abilities, then we figure out that we're not under the thumb anymore. Everything that they've taught us, everything that they've brainwashed us through is insignificant and doesn't matter whatsoever. Right, which is why they hide in the shadows. Right. But going back, and we're talking about the origins. Right, the origins. So, so. Be the, the top of the hour... Which I'm assuming we're going to go an hour here, but top of top of the podcast, uh, we played a clip on the different origins, and uh, I believe there was ancient Mesopotamia that was mentioned, and the Anunnaki. You and I have talked about the Anunnaki right. many times. Which again, we're going to get into the Anunnaki. No, um, slow burn, slow burn, slow burn. Uh, but they mentioned about uh, DNA manipulation. DNA manipulation, right? So going back to what's taught is Darwinism, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what we understand is, as we understand in contemporary science, or or what I would consider the old science, they they tell us that it was around two hundred thousand years ago that we sort of 
showed up on the scene here in the fossil record. And at that time, we were fully enabled and fully capacitated. Okay, and what's interesting about that is that's right where the missing link sort of... We, we don't... You look at the fossil record and you see everything, right? Uh, up to that point, there's a natural progression. Then there's a gap. Now, help me out, because whenever we talk about Darwinism and we talk about the missing, quote-unquote, the missing link, this is a piece of the theory, the evolution theory. Right, the evolutionary theory. The evolutionary theory that is missing, and that's why we call it the, the missing link. It's a big piece. It's a big piece, and you know what's interesting is, and this isn't taught in science, but what they don't tell us is that in that 200,000 years from then to now there has been no evolution of our species whatsoever which would almost make this theory flawed right um there was a time when we were considered cro-magnon that that you know right. 200,000 years ago but they've actually changed that term they they actually call it the AMH which is now considered the anatomically modern human they use the anatomically modern human verbiage right now in the new science and at that point again there's no change at all we have the same proportions the same brain size the same cranial capacity the same neurons and the same nervous system 200,000 years ago our ancestors looked exactly the way we do now Kills. So over two, so over two hundred thousand years, how come there was no evolution? We've gone through several ice ages, I believe. Mm -hmm. During that time, you would imagine we would have developed some sort of adaptation to cooler right. weather or something. Right. Um, there's been several natural events with volcanoes and things like that, but yet the form is the same. Well, they even mentioned something to that to that nature in ancient aliens in one of the episodes that I did see as to the adaptation of man and its surroundings. And one of the things that has not adapted is our, our eyes, our tolerance to brightness, the sun. Right. Right. Well, so, that goes into a whole nother theory that you and I have discussed in the past. Um, I don't know. I may have mentioned this on this podcast. I can't remember if I have or not. Because we wear sunglasses in the right, summer, right? Right, and that's where I was going with this. Um, if you look at all the animals, all the mammals, all the reptilians, all the birds. I mean, the birds are flying closest to the sun. They're in the atmosphere. Right. None of them have to shield their eyes, right? Right. None of them have sensitivity to the, the sun's UV lights. Right. But for some reason we do, and this goes back to maybe a little bit of the last podcast when you were talking about the the possible origins maybe being from Mars. Now, if you were on a planet that was further away, you know, the fourth planet, Mars, mm -hmm. you would be further away from the sun. So maybe you wouldn't have to shield your eyes almost as if, like, that goes back to the idea that we don't really fit here on this planet. Right. Almaty, Kazakhstan, May 2013. Mathematician Vladimir Shermbach and astrobiologist Maxim Makukov publish a study they have conducted on the human genome. Their research has led them to the shocking conclusion that there is a hidden code within our DNA, one that contains precise mathematical patterns and an unknown symbolic language. They looked into the human genome and they found what appeared to be an extraterrestrial stamp on our genetic code. And it operated very much like a mathematical type of code. The odds of this sequence occurring nine times in the randomness of our genetic code is one in 10 trillion. Finally, someone has come across the one piece of evidence that I've always said we need in order to prove the ancient astronaut theory. I always said it'll never be a crashed spaceship or a ray gun 
that will dig somewhere in the sand, but it will be found within our own DNA. For ancient astronaut theorists, the news offered compelling evidence that mankind's DNA was deliberately manipulated by an extraterrestrial intelligence sometime in the ancient past. The ancient astronaut theory suggests that at some point, extraterrestrials targeted our DNA with a artificial mutation of our genes. And if this is true, then some have argued that we are, in a sense, organic robots, because through that manipulation of our genes, we were given intelligence. So it was done artificially, which means AI, artificial intelligence. Organic robots programmed by extraterrestrials? Could such an audacious concept even be remotely true? As far as ancient astronaut theorists are concerned, not only is the answer yes, but it provides the reason why humans have such a strong affinity to not only create cybernetically enhanced versions of themselves, but to merge with them. So could this be evidence that just as these advanced extraterrestrial civilizations may have programmed us humans at a genetic level, that now we're actually programming these artificially intelligent robotic beings in the same manner to carry on this agenda that was started long ago by the seeding of this planet from these extraterrestrial civilizations. We have also, if you want to think about the cicada rhythm, this is something that astronauts talk about. Once they leave our atmosphere, their cicada rhythm, their sleep cycle, goes to a 23-hour cycle once they escape the, the gravitational pull of the planet. What's interesting about that is Mars is a 23-hour cycle. It rotates on its axis in a 23-hour, so they got 23-hour days. So that maybe goes to... Which makes sense. Maybe the hypothesis. Not, we're not saying this is true, but you know, this is information well, if, we can across. Cicada, in a cicada rhythm, they're not on the planet Mars. They're no. just out of the element of Earth. Right. They're just out of the gravitational pull of the planet. Right. So that's you know that's an interesting fact. Uh, and and you well, guys also talk about the temperature difference. So hard. obviously, if you're further further from the sun, you're not going to need as much hair. Cause, right. Is that what you're going for? Well, there's that. As well as you know, the human body is capable of burning fat at a increasingly rate at a certain temperature. Mm. A temperature that is pretty steady on Mars, I believe. Well, going back to the atmospheric pressure, which, you know, I don't know the correlation of the time frame of 200,000 years, but... Wasn't Mars possibly habitable going back 200,000 years? Or was it 600,000 years? I'm not exactly no, sure I don't, on that. I don't remember hearing this. But uh, it is interesting that we showed up at that time because there's no explanation for it. Okay? And what's super interesting is it seems as if our DNA was actually altered at this time. Because when looking at the... the uh, human evolution chain when you look at the skulls that have been found mm -hmm. there's no direct lineage from us to any of the other hominids right that, that's the missing link that we're talking well, about and, and scientists actually say this this has been said and I get this information from Greg Braden's um, wisdom traditions information the physical evidence for human evolution is inferred relationships. The scientific community says they're inferred relationships. So what they're saying is we are guessing, we're inferring that there's a connection between us and these other hominids. But as of right now, we just have not found the, the correct missing piece. But they don't teach that in schools. They just say, oh... We've naturally right. We've naturally evolved from these other hominids, but yet there's no physical evidence to that. 
Um, and, the, and the real conclusion is that uh, in nature had a had an article. It was in the volume number four hundred and four that was published on March thirtieth in two thousand. And in the result of the study, when relating, trying to relate the relationship between us and other hominids, like Neanderthals and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. Not to say that we didn't exist at the same time, because we did, and we actually interacted with other hominids. But the result was suggested that modern humans was not, in fact, descendant from the Neanderthals. Because there there's a traditional thought that some of our DNA came from them, which we might have interbreeded with them, but we didn't descend from them. Right? So we might have intermixed with them, but... Um, well, going back into the the episode that we had previous, prior to this one, um, the theory that we had derived or came from uh, the Red Planet, or what's supposed to be the Red Planet, we'll hmm. get into that later, um, Mars, is that in order to keep a civilization going, there was desperate attempts, desperate attempts to make their... DNA continue so that they can live on. So in order to do that, the DNA was manipulated. Well, and, and to, to, to the, live on this planet, right? And to that manipulation. What's interesting is, right around two hundred thousand years ago, because we we have a lot of technology right now that can read a lot about the genome and the DNA of our plant of of our system, right, right. of our blood. Right. Now, what's interesting is, if you take a picture of the AMH, the anatomically modern human, which oh, was okay. 200,000 years ago. Okay, I'm going to take a look. He's, he's got it on his phone here. I'm just looking at it. Okay, go on. And you take a photo of us today, you can see there's physically no difference. No, I mean, that looks like Val Kilmore, but okay. <laughs> exactly. And maybe we can go ahead and uh, transfer this photo onto website. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is, at that time, two things happened. He made the Doors movie. He made the Doors movie. No, two things happened to our genetic code, which is interesting, because scientifically, we do have mutations that happen, right? Mm-hmm. But in nature, things don't happen at that dramatic event. One mutation might happen. It might perpetrate through several generations and then another mutation right and there was a there was a person who was of Darwinism's time one of his contemporaries mm-hmm. and he actually elaborated a little bit on on the theory his name was uh, Alfred Wallace he was he was also published in the uh, at the time with Darwin in collaboration with the Darwinism theory and he makes a very interesting observation. He says, within the theory of evolution, his quote was, Nature never over-endows a species beyond the needs of everyday existence. So basically saying, species never mutate to the point of making something stronger than it needs to be because it's a waste of energy. Right? If you're gonna if you're gonna take the time to go ahead and mutate, you're only gonna mutate what you have to, otherwise you're wasting energy. There's no need for that extra mutation. Kinda like the saying, God never gives you what you can't handle. Yeah, that's a good example. Right? So the fact that two these two things happened at exactly the same time in our genetic history, there's no way it could have happened. And here's what those two things were. The mutation of chromosome number seven. Some people might know this, some people might not. But it's a brand new science that's come to fortuition over the last couple years. I think this came out in 2018. And chromosome 7 is responsible for speech and complex language. Okay? And the specific gene is called FOXP2. Okay? And this gene mutated... Um, you can find this uh, in the uh, science journal Nature. 
2002, August 22nd, uh, the paper number 418. Okay. Well, I tell you what, you can send me the link to that and I'll also post it on our website. Okay. Yeah. And um, what's interesting about that is that chromosome, what it enables us to do is it connects our tongue to our lips and the lips and the tongue to the jawbone that connects to our brain. And what this chromosome allows us to do is communicate. It's the communication gene. It gives us the ability to sing. It gives us the ability to form words, form function. In essence, depending on how uh, how far you want to go into it, it gives us the ability to change frequency with our voice. It's, it's almost like it's the key... To communication. To, to communication, right? Exactly. And before this time, we didn't have that ability. So, okay, if that's just one mutation because, um, you know, we needed it to evolve, maybe it could happen, right? But what's interesting is chromosome number two. Chromosome number two also mutated at this exact same time. Okay. Okay, but what chromosome two does... It's even crazier. And it's almost as if there was a CRISPR action. Have you heard of CRISPR? Um, like CRISPX. CRISPX. That's a good cereal. I yeah, like it, that. It's, it's, a, it's a recent... It's a recent technology where we can design like a designer uh, DNA where you can take out certain uh, chromosomes and you take out certain... Um, you know the the four THGC makeup of a DNA code. Okay. You can you can you know design babies like you can change the eye color. You can change you know right whatever um, you know the height of the baby or whatever. The CRISPR Cas9 system is a tool for cutting DNA at a specifically targeted location. The technique has already revolutionised gene editing. But scientists are always looking for new possibilities. So what else can CRISPR do? Since being discovered in a bacterial immune system, CRISPR-Cas9 has been adapted into a powerful tool for genomic research. There are two components to the system. A DNA cutting protein called Cas9 and an RNA molecule known as the guide RNA. Bound together, they form a complex that can identify and cut specific sections of DNA. First, Cas9 has to locate and bind to a common sequence in the genome called a PAM. Once the PAM is bound, the guide RNA unwinds part of the double helix. The RNA strand is designed to match and bind a particular sequence in the DNA. Once it's found the correct sequence, Cas9 can cut the DNA. Its two nuclease domains each make a nick, leading to a double-strand break. Although the cell will try to repair this break, the fixing process is error-prone and often inadvertently introduces mutations that disable the gene. This makes CRISPR a great tool for knocking out specific genes. But making double-strand breaks isn't all CRISPR can do. Some researchers are deactivating one or both of Cas9's cutting domains and fusing new enzymes onto the protein. Cas9 can then be used to transport those enzymes to a specific DNA sequence. In one example, Cas9 is fused to an enzyme, a deaminase, which mutates specific DNA bases, eventually replacing cytidine with thymidine. This kind of precise gene editing means you could turn a disease-causing mutation into a healthy version of the gene, or introduce a stop codon at a specific place. But it's not all about gene editing. Several labs have been working on ways to use CRISPR to promote gene transcription. They do this by deactivating Cas9 completely so it can no longer cut DNA. Instead, transcriptional activators are added to the Cas9 by either fusing them directly or via a string of peptides. 
Alternatively, the activators can be recruited to the guide RNA instead. These activators recruit the cell's transcription machinery, bringing RNA polymerase and other factors to the target and increasing transcription of that gene. The same principle applies to gene silencing. A crab domain fused to the Cas9 inactivates transcription by recruiting more factors that physically block the gene. A more outside-the-box idea for using CRISPR is to attach fluorescent proteins to the complex so you can see where particular DNA sequences are found in the cell. This could be useful for things like visualising the 3D architecture of the genome, or to paint an entire chromosome and follow its position in the nucleus. CRISPR has already changed the face of research, but these new ideas show that what's been achieved so far could just be the tip of the iceberg when it comes to CRISPR's potential. Whatever comes next, it seems the CRISPR revolution is far from over. So this seems what's been going on here 200,000 years ago. What ended up happening was, if you guys can imagine the chromosomes. See, we have, if I'm not mistaken, 23 chromosomes in our DNA code. Is that I'll, right? I'll look it up. Go on. Okay. I think we have 23 chromosomes. And our hominid neighbors, monkeys, chimpanzees, have 24. And what it was was there was a fusion Wait, 23 and 24. 23, we were just talking about this. About how there are 20... What, what did we say? The the, the 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 duration time was 23 hours once we go into space. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. 24 on... Okay, go on. Almost, so you're saying the... Maybe the local indigenous hominids had 24 chromosomes based on the hours and... Yeah. Maybe 23 chromosomes, hominids. I mean, that would make sense, right? Uh, well, better be, be, be careful of that. So, uh, no, what's interesting then is on this chromosome 2, the telomeres, have you heard of telomeres? They're at the on, their, on the edges of chromosomes. Well, 46 chromosomes, you get 23 from each parent. Okay. Right, so we got 46 total. Right. Right. Um, so, he, yeah, humans have 23, 23 pairs of chromosomes for a to- total of 46 chromosomes. Right. So One from each parent. Right. A set from each parent. So, on this chromosome 2, they have found evidence of manipulation and fusion of two separate chromosomes. And what's interesting is... They're they're not just at the middle break because a lot of times when chromosomes mutate in in the natural world they cut in the middle right there's a break in the middle because of We're breaking the chain like a break in the chain so and then it would mutate into another chromosome some chromosomes are longer shorter whatever and that would happen through environmental issues you know degradation uh, radiation whatever well what's interesting about this is there was a break in the chromosomes. And what ended up happening was there was actually a flip of the telomeres. They were broken in half, and then the telomeres were flipped upside down, merged in the middle. So what you end up having is you end up having telomeres on the top, because this chromosome, too, almost looks like an X. So if you imagine the shape of an X, mm-hmm. okay, you've got a chromosome on the top of each Right. And on the bottom of each leg of the of the letter X. And then in the middle, you actually have two more telomeres on the inside. So the mutation was flipped and then merged in the middle, pinched together. And why is that important? Well, first, you have two mutations. And Alfred said, nature never over-endows. Okay, so there's no reason. So what is chromosome 2? What does it do? Well, I'll tell you what it does. What it's responsible for is what we would consider our humanness. It's the largest of all the chromosomes. It's 8% of our DNA. And this gene, the, the exact gene is TBR1. 
It's responsible for the enlarged brain, which has always been a curious thing. We always talk about how did our brain enlarge three times. It increased our neocortex and created our neocortex to be 76% of of our brain, increased in volume. And it's also the place where emotion, sympathy, empathy, compassion, and self-regulation is created. So basically everything that makes us, us. Everything that makes us, us. And uh, there's also a a photo. You have the mammalian brain, Mm -hmm. you have the reptilian brain, and then the largest part of our brain, the outer layer, is the neocortex. And this is where logic, analyzation, rational thought, control of emotions, language, and your morality is all developed in your neocortex. Something that Joe Biden doesn't have. (laughs) So he's missing his chromosome too. So maybe he is reptilian. Maybe his reptilian brain is much larger than his neocortex. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. Don't know. definitely missing something. Right. But this research, again, um, if you guys are interested into it, uh, comes from uh, a paper that was produced... Okay, there's several doctors here. Uh, but it was produced from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute uh, and Department of Genetics out of Yale University of School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. And it was produced... Get this, guys. It was produced in July 8th, 1991. Yet it wasn't released in a scientific journal until 2002. And through all of this, we have concluded or these scientists have concluded that human chromosome 2 is the relic of an ancient DNA fusion of two ancestral chromosomes think about that and maybe we'll try to put some of these photos on the website yeah but um, yeah definitely scientifically which I'm, I'm sorry if I'm I'm butchering this but it's important to know two chromosomes mutated and the two chromosomes the most create our humanity are the nature two that were at the same exact time around this 200,000 year period. We're talking about a shock. Okay. This isn't something that gradually happened. Either. No, this is boom. Like it's not gradual Darwinism. Okay. Almost like somebody it's, ate from the tree of life. <laughs> it's proof of, of intervention. Knowledge. Is what I meant. Tree of knowledge. Tree of knowledge. Yeah, it's almost like at that time somebody ate it from tree of knowledge. Tree of knowledge. It's proof of intervention. This cannot happen naturally. Right. The they they came up with a number. So there's so uh, there was a British scientist. He came up with a number. Okay? okay. He said the odds of this happening. Okay. They have a mathematical number saying anything one in the ten to four hundredth. Is impossible. Right? So that's 1 times 10 to the 400th power. Right. Is impossible. It's it's mathematically impossible. There's no way it can happen. Well, this is where the whole term, the only way this could happen would be akin to a tornado blowing through a junkyard and creating a 747. Piece by piece. A miracle. They said the, the ability for this to happen would be 1 in the 10th. One in the ten to the six hundredth power, and whenever you, whenever you go by powers, it's not one plus one is two or doubled. Right, it's exponentially. Right, from four hundred to six hundred. So it's not four hundred. It's not one and a half times greater. It's one. It's four to six hundred exponential. Right. Basically stating, it's impossible. Impossible. The, 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 impossible. There's no way. These fusions and the mutation of chromosome seven. Right. Was so, this going to happen? Well, it, I mean, this is, there was intervention. Whether you want to talk about the Abrahamic religions or you want to talk about aliens, this is the point of intervention. And it goes back to what I've said numerous times, and I've talked to different people about it, and I still get arguments that science has more so proven 
the creator factor, the creator myth. Yes, absolutely, or not then, myth, but the creator, the proof of the creator, right? Proof of the creator than it has any other theory. I right. mean, even even if you want to talk about the Big Bang, you still have to consider the creator theory. Whoever you the creator still, is. You still have to. Absolutely. And this is scientifically... And, and here's the thing. Um, Dr. Greg Braden talks about this. He says he has scientific constituents that are very uncomfortable with this. And they don't teach this in science class. They, they don't teach this in any of the contemporary books or any of the universities or any of the colleges. Because they don't like it. They, they, they can't they let their emotions get the best of them. It, it conflicts with everything that they've been teaching for the last two, three hundred, four hundred years, and exactly what we've been talking about before. It's it's we as humans are so arrogant. We don't want to believe that we've been lied to or duped, or what we've been doing or studying is, you know, possibly not exactly what we believe it is. It could be something slightly different. It could be something completely different. But we've completely fogged our own minds and, and stonewalled ourselves into possibly. Thinking, hey, wait a minute. Maybe not all of the dogma here matters. Maybe just the part of all of this matters is the creator theory. And now we go and we, we're learning. We're, we're digging deeper into science and we're, we're seeing there's definitely something to the, the creator belief. There was some kind of ancient intervention and this is this is what Greg Braden talks about on this particular seminar that I watched even if it's uncomfortable we have to entertain the possibility because if we don't entertain the possibility and try to interject whatever dogma we might believe we're going to miss the entire story right if if we just want to make our own conclusions and jump to our own resolution as to, well, it was this or it was that, or this was Darwinism, or this was, you know, even if you take the religious sort of dogmatic approach, this was, you know, Yahweh, you know, whatever. Right. Um, then you, if you say you have the answer, then you cut out anything else. But if we have to, if we really want to find the source, we have to be open about all information and all possibilities. Because otherwise, you eliminate any possibility that doesn't fit your narrative. Which we see all too often, um, in mo especially in modern day, with everything that we're dealing with, with cancel culture, and everybody wanting to be inclusive, everybody wanting to be right in the way they think nobody everybody's afraid to be on the wrong side of the page you know we're we're we're, we're so cautious yet unaware if that makes sense right we we just want to digest everything that's given to us without us doing any of our own Exactly. Personal searching. Exactly. Which is dangerous. It's dangerous. It's conformity. It's dangerous conformity. And, right. you know, that's too often what you run into when you run into these. And whether scientists, believe it or not, which is one of the reasons why they're having a hard time accepting this new information, this new science, is if you're a pure scientist and you just believe in Darwinism, that's very much a religion. Sure. Right? So it's hard for them to change their ideas. So they just go ahead and they take this new information that's been out in the 90s, in the early 2000s. They're finding all this information and they're suppressing it because it doesn't fit their paradigm. It's dismissive. It's dismissive. Like, so you like have you to said, go to these alternative, yeah. these alternative places of information that they're willing to go ahead and disseminate this because they're trying to get the information out. And whenever you... Anytime you come across alternative information or, or information like in some of these scientific journals that are buried on page 446 or whatever that one page was, they do release some of the information, but they hide it. They hide it in the back pages, you know, and then they just continue on with whatever narrative they want to continue. Mm. And that's what, you know, that's what we have to be careful of. But, you know, I want to express that this information are in some of these scientific journals and we'll, you know, it, yeah. it's hard to explain it. So I, I hope, you know, 
I'm not a scientist. So. Research. Yeah, right. right. Try to try to look into some of the research for your guys' self. But the levi- but the importance of this is we have found evidence of ancient intervention. Whatever fits your narrative out there, you know, I'm not going to force my narrative on onto you, but there's actual evidence of intervention. I would also say instead instead of people being, you know, maybe you follow Darwinism or maybe you're uh, of of atheism background or or what what it may be, okay? When you start to see some of this evidence, this factual evidence, you're 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 doing yourself a disjustice by dismissing it because once we once we realize that we're more than just here by an accident we are not an accident we are not an accident and that should give that should give people comfort to know that we are more than what we even know what we're being told we what we're being told they want to dumb us down they want to dumb us down they don't want and they don't want to empower us and what we have to understand is we're more powerful absolutely than, than we can even conceive and that includes the ability to heal yourself that includes the ability to improve your you know your immune system your ability to improve your consciousness the ability to improve your spiritual awakeness the ability to do any number of things that you could put your mind to well, you know, Jeff, it's funny you talk about those things because you and I have recently we've been talking about doing different things, and uh, I definitely want to keep the podcast included in all of our listeners. Um, some of the things that we've been talking about, we were talking about going to a float spa, definitely something I've always wanted to try. Um, so whenever we do that, we're we'll do a podcast on that. Um, we we're intrigued by the whole CE five movement, uh, Doctor Stephen Greer, and uh, you know contact of the fifth kind we're we're we're, you and i we're going to go out into the field we're going to try this stuff yeah absolutely and we want to keep the listeners included so uh as we as we progress throughout the summer these are things that we're going to try to touch base on when we find the time to we're going to get to it we're going to do podcasts on these things so just a little heads up on uh, what you have to look forward to we're going to get into some of this stuff definitely deeper into the stuff um before we get into that i think I think we we should definitely deliver on the whole Anunnaki subject because we talk about it so much. So I think the next it's not going to fit in one episode. No, it's not going to fit in one episode. Um, so I think we're going to tackle that next, and and it may be some uncomfortable information that some of you guys. And again, it's in a way. No, I'll say this because we, you and I are just talking about it. it should it, it should be humbling. And uh, comforting to know that we are not here by accident. We are more than what is perceived or told to us. So, and this kind of goes hand in hand with that, I think. Right. Well, just there, there are some elements of the story uh, that are out that there that don't agree with the dogma of some of the Abrahamic religions. But yet, there's some nuggets that seem to agree with Abrahamic religion as well, which is a very strange dichotomy of, you know, truth, myth, you know, where we're at. But uh, I know we're getting ready to maybe close this up, but I just want to make sure that everybody knows you are not a mistake. No. You are not a mistake. And that's something you and I, we've, you and I have talked about many times in the delivery of who we are and the awakeness the understanding of who we are and how powerful really are we as as humans as spiritual entities as the the very being we are very complex but we are also very and extremely powerful and this is a journey that we you and I are also continuing to learn and go down and that's something we're going to take our followers with us on uh, but Definitely something to look forward to with, you know, the spa, the CE5. We're going to get into other things. Hopefully we can meet some people along the way, have some guests, 
Jeffro, do you have anything else to add beyond that? I mean, we're here we are, right? Right, here we are. We're going to start diving deep. All righty. So, we're going to go into the Anunnaki the next coming episodes. Um, maybe two, maybe three, I don't know. There's a lot to learn there. So, until then, Jeffro, until then. Until then, Mario. Until then. <laughs> <laughs>